What is up, Bitcoiners? It's your boy CK. Waiting for Pete Rizzo and Alex Fedsky to join. They'll be taking over, but I'm just here to fill in the void. Uh, it looks like Pete just jumped in. While we're waiting for uh, everything to get settled here, just want to inform you all about the venue for Bitcoin 2022. I was actually just there yesterday, and it is absolutely next level. If any of you were at Bitcoin 2021 this year, earlier this June in Miami, you know it was an incredible event. But with that, the event was a little bit oversold. There's too many people in the venue, and that will not be happening again this year. The guest experience is going to be absolutely A-plus, top-notch. The Miami Beach Convention Center can scale up to 100,000 people, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. We have an enormous amount planned for all the Bitcoiners out there. And of course, like any Bitcoin conference, we respect your privacy. We respect what Bitcoiners respect. We are Bitcoiners. This is an event put on by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. So I think all of you will be very pleased with the announcements that are soon to be coming. And if you haven't already purchased your ticket, you can get 10% off by using promo code Satoshi. That is Bitcoin Magazine's official promo code. So yeah, don't hesitate. If you are traveling from abroad and unsure if whether or not you'll be able to get into the States, still buy your tickets while they're cheap. And if you can't come because of any sort of like legal restrictions, we will refund you. You will also probably be able to sell the ticket on the secondary market for a nice profit as well. So this is not investment advice, but we're trying to make it as risk-free and easy as possible to come to the event. So Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, April 6th through the 9th, it's going to be absolutely game-changing. All right, that's enough for me. I'm going to pass it over to uh, Rizzo and Svetsky. Yeah, I'd also add you can meet cool people there. That's where I met Svetsky last year. So also uh, networking, a key component for the Bitcoin conference. <laughs> Am I cool now? I thought I was toxic. Wait a minute, what's going on here? I'm like getting reclassified. <laughs> I don't know the difference there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll get into it. So how are you, man? Good to hear from you. I'm good, man. I'm good. I was just literally having a conversation with a special Bitcoiner who's also in here, Pablo. Nice. So yeah, I'm doing very good. We uh, had an incredible fucking week last night. I was on you know, a series of pods and we raised some money for Amber for some of the new really, really fucking cool shit that we're going to be doing. Well, congrats, Bitcoin. man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, definitely Thank good you. to see the, the Bitcoin-only businesses do do well. So I guess, yeah, I mean, I, just to kind of backtrack in our, on our convo, I think this was more informal between me and you, right? I mm -hmm. think that one of the things I was keen to kind of catch up with you on is just, you know, I think we're both, we both have different dispositions to Bitcoin evangelism, I think, right? Mm -hmm. uh, say I'm a bit more left of the bell curve, maybe, or right of the, whichever, whichever version of the bell curve it is. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just curious to get your take on, on the state of things. And also the recent article I published on Forbes, which was, you know, against cryptocurrency, the case for Bitcoin maximalism, definitely was inspired by your work as well, right? I, I kind of, viewed it a bit as like a intelligent framing on the Bitcoin, not shitcoin argument <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> that, that you wrote about as well. And, and I know that we have been talking about this as far back as May or April, where I think I was sort of struggling to put forward maybe an argument that was more intellectually appealing, you know, for yeah. Bitcoin, but still core to Bitcoin maximalism. So yeah, I guess that's what I was curious to kind of just jump off that and maybe dive into that subject. Yeah, man. I think, I mean, the conversation really, I, I kind of remember it when we were sitting on the table with it was with russ and francis and stuff right that's where yeah. we we're actually having the conversation yeah we we're trying to like dig into okay but why is bitcoin only so important or you know what, what what's the what's the special ingredient and and i think i tried 
with that piece with that I did, you know, the Why Bitcoin Not Shitcoin to kind of elaborate on three core pillars like the economic reasoning, the moral reasoning, and I think it was the philosophical. So, mm-hmm. so it was yeah. kind of like those three. And then I think Alan did something similarly, actually, in his really long piece, Only the Strong Survive, which I still haven't read yet because it was fucking war and peace. Yeah, that one's, uh, <laughs> one's a bit long. <laughs> yeah. I was like, fuck you, Alan. Because <laughs> he was sending it to me beforehand. He was like, kept telling me, oh, this is the DeFi piece, you know, in his little squirrel accent. And, you know, he was he kept trying to like, get me to read it. I'm like, dude, I got, got I got a company to run, man. Give me a break. He did a, a similar sort of angle. And then your one was just obviously a more synced piece that was, I guess, more, I don't know. We obviously have a very different writing style. Yours is, I guess, more formal slash <laughs> I think mine objective. is more, uh, yeah, I think it's more deferential to the other side. Yeah. To the other side. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So they all say the same thing, I guess, differently. Like, how would you sum up maybe i feel like i'm throwing the question back at you but like how how would you if you had to sum up like what you said because because mm. i know what, what mm. i did was kind of try and blend like i kind of went for the the lead bullet approach like bitcoin's not different because of a single silver bullet it's different because of a blend of things and that blend of things is impossible to recreate but what would you say was your sum up or summation of yeah bitcoin? i think i think i can take it from there i think one i'll start with just the why of Bitcoin maximalism, mm-hmm. right? I, I think for a long time, I think as people who support Bitcoin only, I, I don't know, I felt that it's like hard to vocalize like exactly, you know, I, or I don't know, I, I felt like there was a missing piece for me where it was just sort of like, okay, why? It's one thing to think that Bitcoin is the best of all alternatives, right? So like that is that is like one classification of, of the way to look at it. But then the other thing to say that you only support Bitcoin, right, is just a completely different spectrum. And I think I was really trying to wrestle with that because I think ultimately if you're a Bitcoin maximalist, you sort of have to believe that that the only or best option, actually, I would say the only option is is to support Bitcoin, sort of this theme of Bitcoin only, right? And I think that's what I was looking for because I think with this piece, what I was trying to really tease apart was like what actually separates Bitcoin maximalism from what I call crypto agnosticism, right? Which is this idea that, you know, just any cryptocurrency is dissatisfactory because it's a non- government cryptocurrency. And I think that at the heart, like I think a lot of uh, some Bitcoin maximalists, I actually think are crypto agnostics. And I'll kind of explain why, because I think mm-hmm. at some point, like some of the arguments we make for Bitcoin, you listen to some people kind of talk about why they believe in Bitcoin maximalism, right? A lot of these arguments are, I, I feel like, are constructed in such a way where if, if Bitcoin like wasn't the number one asset, they might just construct like the same counter arguments for some other asset, right? So I guess what I mean by that is that I think crypto agnosticism is actually something that like occurs within Bitcoin and then within cryptocurrency generally. And I think that if you are a crypto agnostic, like probably what you believe is that there's some comparative basis by which Bitcoin is the best like mm-hmm, person. Mm-hmm. But really what you're doing is like you're creating some sort of sliding scale, right? Where it's possible for some other cryptocurrency to displace this. And I've talked to people who are Bitcoin maximalists and they'll straight out kind of admit sort of this framing where they'll say like, oh, well, if something else was was Bitcoin, like, you know, economically dominant, like then Bitcoin would have would have failed or something like that, right? Not Dude. everyone, but there are some people I think who believe this. So then yeah. I was trying to kind of tease apart like- Can I, can I pull on that thread just really quickly? Because oh, yeah, I sure. just want to point something out. So, so one, I just want to say, I loved when you sent me the draft, like crypto agnostic and like Eric Vore, he's kind of got triggered by that. He's like, this framing <laughs> is triggering me. I was just sitting there laughing at that. Because it's, yeah. 
but, but it is that, such yeah. a it, dude it's such a good framing though because that, that's effectively what it is and, and i really just want to echo your sentiment there is like it reminds me of the same sentiment or it reminds me of the same type of argument or counter argument that people use about the bitcoin energy thing is like they step into the frame of who they're arguing with which is you know that they, they say oh well bitcoin uses renewables it's like right, right exactly no, right that, that's a diminutive the, argument because you're sort of exactly yeah. exactly so it's the wrong frame you know bitcoin eliminates the wastage of a world in which economic consequence doesn't exist and as a result will make the world 99 percent more efficient that is what Bitcoin's thing is, who gives a fuck about what the energy mix is? So, so that's like you, you've right. got to change the frame. And what you're doing here is you're changing the frame, which is Bitcoin's in a different fucking category altogether. So, anyway, I just wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I think, pull I think what you're pointing out is what I struggled with for a while, where it's like a lot of arguments for Bitcoin seem like they're passively accepting of the other frame. And I think the other frame is really what I needed to define to kind of get out of this piece. So, I'll just restate it, where I think like. Again, like crypto agnostics, I think seemingly they seem to be fine with any version of a non-state government money, and they seem to be deferential to the market to, you know, adjudicate claims to the status, right? So I think immediately, like one of the differentials that I feel like I finally tease apart of a lot of thinking, I think to be a Bitcoin maximalist, I think you have to believe that, and this I, way I phrase in the piece is that the definition of a neutral non-state monetary system is just something that exists in economics and computer science. That is just a something either satisfies that definition independently or it doesn't. Whereas the cryptocurrency agnostics, I think one of the things that they've done, and I, I think it took me like a really long time to realize this, is they've sort of offloaded this decision-making to the market. And again, this sort of puts them in a position where, and this confounded me for a very long time because it's like they're looking for something else. They're seemingly fine with any technology that meets some criteria, right? Like that's essentially what they're saying because they're saying, one, this market is valid. We accept the frame of the market. Two, whatever the market chooses or elevates like must therefore be good. And then three, like because we're looking at the market, we believe in this data, right? Like we believe that it's somehow meaningful. Where I think like from the Bitcoin maximalist perspective, I think that's, I don't think that's true. I don't think we care about the data in CoinMarketCap or Masari or any of these types of things at all. Like I just, I just think that data is completely irrelevant to us. Yeah. I was going to riff on that yeah, really quickly. It's like, I think, so that reminds me almost of the, the quote that I put in the Remnant article recently of, uh, of Henry Ford about if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said, I want faster horse and carriage. So so what Bitcoiners are doing, what Bitcoin is doing is reinventing the basis upon which money and human action, the basis upon which human action can be measured. So it reinvents money completely differently. And I guess the category is unlike anything else, whereas what crypto is doing is it's trying to take some of the technological elements of what Bitcoin is, but still apply them in the framework of the old world and try and like see how it can partner with the banks and the government and like still live within that old frame whereas bitcoiners are like no 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 let's we're moving into a new land into a new place and and this means that all of these metrics and you know stupidities don't actually mean anything it reminds me of the way keynesian economics works in a sense it's like you know they they create a metric to satisfy a particular thing that they want and they build a model around that metric and then they you know, keep adjusting the metrics to fit the model instead of reality. It's like this, it's this complete, you know, derangement. Yeah. Whereas, I don't know if that's, if I've explained that well, but it, reinvention doesn't rely on taking some sort of meaningless metrics and 
looking at it through a lens of the existing world. Like Bitcoin's right. different. I think we're saying the same thing. I think what I'm sort of saying is that a lot of the arguments where I was frustrated with Bitcoin Maxwell's arguments is they seem deferential to those metrics, right? So we'll we'll end up arguing that Bitcoin is the most centralized and we'll spend a lot of time. By the way, I think like only only the strong survive, I also think is like very guilty of this. Like it spends a lot of time accepting the frame of decentralized finance, like arguing why conceptually decentralized finance works and then sort of reconstructing, attempting to reconstruct the reader's idea of why Bitcoin is more decentralized than other alternatives, right? And so immediately what you've done is you've accepted that frame and your attempt then is to argue that Bitcoin is more decentralized based on some metrics. So what you're seemingly saying, even though you're arguing for Bitcoin, from the crypto agnostic perspective, and I think this is why they view a lot of our arguments as weaker than they are, right? They're seeing that argument and they're saying, oh, well, okay, then seemingly you should be fine with any cryptocurrency as long as the most decentralized, which also isn't true, right? Like there's properties to Bitcoin outside of its decentralization. I mean, obviously the decentralization is very important to Bitcoin, but there are other properties, right? Like uh, 21 million coin cap, they have nothing, you know, they're completely outside of that metrical comparison, right? So I think that mm -hmm. I also struggled with that for a while because I do agree with that. I think that that was a right criticism that was being put forward. I think we become overly reliant on trying to prove the Bitcoin is the most decentralized, trying to establish some metric for that, or even economic on the economic side, right? We spend a lot of time also arguing that Bitcoin is the best form of money based on satisfying these properties. So we spent a long time educating people about economics. And ultimately, I just don't know how much people on the other end really care about that stuff. I was going to say, I actually recall you and I hitting that point at that dinner was, you know, we we're kind of saying, um, we got so hung up on fixed supply, 21 million, fixed supply, 21 million, sound money, hard money. And, you know, then these fucking dweebs, the 25 and 30 year old virgins over at Ethereum decided to do ultrasound money. And like, <laughs> right. I, you, and it's kind of like they use the marketing spin against us, whereas the better frame would have been an inability to change the cap. Or oh, sorry, it was deflationary money or whatever we call it. Deflation is good or whatever. So, so they jumped onto that. Whereas what we need to lean into is where they can't lean into, which is, can you show me something out there that actually is in the same category of Bitcoin, wherein there isn't a foundation or a group or a this design by committee kind of thing that exists, that is out there to try and compete in the marketplace as a product effectively. Like Bitcoin is different to that. Again, it's a, it's not a product that we're trying to tinker with so that we can sell it to people right. uh, at the shop, right? Or that we need to build a whole marketing campaign around. Like we can't tomorrow change Bitcoin's supply issuance schedule to go, no, we're ultra, ultra sound money. We can't fucking do that. And that, like the very fact that Ethereum can change from world computer to ultrasound money is why it's different to Bitcoin. So anyway, I don't know if I'm explaining yeah, that I think, part well. I think what you're saying is, is correct also. But the way that I think, I think I ultimately came to after that conversation, the thing that I wasn't thinking about that I've sort of tried to reincorporate in this article is that I do think from, from one perspective, like Bitcoin is vastly superior to the others. And, and again, I think, you know, again, people have been banging the drum on this for a while, but is that Bitcoin protects user rights to a greater degree. And I think that when you get into this, and you had this framing in your article, whereas, you know, economic, philosophic, and moral, it's like, I feel like the moral argument is of these the strongest, right? Like, it is the mm -hmm. strongest case for Bitcoin. And, and I think if there's anything that we we could have done a better job or could do a better job on, it's just trying to bend some of these arguments 
back to that point. And some of these like more complicated like argumentations is like you sort of get lost. Like, why does this matter, right? So why does it matter that Bitcoin has twenty one million and you can make all these sort of like elaborate economic arguments for it? Or I think like you know, and ultimately I think I phrased this in the article, and this is like how I've now I think want to start treating it as like you have the right to a known money supply, a known fixed unchanging money supply in Bitcoin. And therefore, any other cryptocurrency just simply does not offer you that, right? There's just no condition under which that right will exist. So I ended up trying to kind of flip these kind of like longer uh, arguments into just like, really, what's the point, right? Like, so if Bitcoin's the most decentralized, it's like, well, why does that actually matter to you? And I think the ultimate answer is it's because your rights have the greatest percentage chance of, of being insured in a system in which there is no control, right? Like, so essentially... I think we've spent a lot of time arguing why Bitcoin is most centralized, but we've failed to also like argue why that's meaningful to people. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and I think it's just sort of about bending it back in, where it's the reason that matters is because in these other systems, and this was the other thing I got from the article as well, and writing it is just I, I think what the other cryptocurrencies do by and large is that they just put the rights of the user and then they make them subject to the market, right? And I think that was something that. I've seen some people kind of present some criticism to that claim, and I'd be curious to your read on that. But I, what I ultimately think they do is if you kind of think about these cryptocurrencies as, as systems where essentially, like, because they're constructed in such a way where any majority or organization of political entities can enforce their will on others, they're essentially not much different than the fiat systems that they're trying to replace from the perspective of like user rights, right? Somebody yes. can take away your rights. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know, see, if market is the right word there, it's like, because that what you described there was basically democracy, right? It's like, okay, the majority want this, so now we're going to do this. Whereas if the majority of human beings didn't like gravity and, you know, they just decided to start jumping off a cliff, it wouldn't work out very well for them. So it's like a, it's a universal law, right? When I try and frame Bitcoin to people is like, I'm like, it's, it's not just better money and it's not just the next iteration of money. Like there is, I'm really going on a rampage and I was doing this with the Kaisers is that, there will be, historically speaking, before Bitcoin and after Bitcoin. And before Bitcoin was the era of humanity in which human beings attempted to discover better means and better objects and better tools to represent this metaphysical thing called money. And, you know, money is like this, you know, metaphysical fabric that allows us to intersubjectively value time energy and scarce resources right so that, that so money will always exist it's the object that we use to represent money will change now bitcoin is actually perfect for that and as a result like we're not going to go and build a better bitcoin for the world so, so it's kind of the substrate and what this discovery means like the discovery of energy money for an intelligent sentient species means that this thing called money, like this metaphysical thing called money can becomes information and becomes something that is out of the reach of all of us and lives in the realm of gravity, the speed of light, the second law of thermodynamics, etc. It's out there and none of us can go and change that. All we can do is use it to our advantage. Like you go and build a fucking plane. You you design aerodynamics to leverage gravity so that you can you can fly. You don't change fucking gravity you don't change the speed of light so that kind of framing is something i've been um i've been trying to use well i think you're ultimately talking about like that bitcoin is fixed and that it's it's something that because it is able to hold its guarantees to such a level that is what gives it its properties and i've even seen this in response to the piece right so part of the reason i wrote this was to kind of open source this 
conversation with the journalistic community and saying like, look, this idea that you have that cryptocurrencies are sort of neutral just like does not exist, right? Like from the perspective of user rights, like these are very different systems. So you, you should really try to stop thinking of them as just stocks and bonds that are just, you know, have no end relationship <laughs> to the user. And I think to the people who have actually honestly intellectually engaged with that conversation and messaged me privately, I'm still surprised by the extent to which they, the, the questions are sort of dominated by what ifs, you know, the questions like that I've gotten in response are always sort of like, are you saying there's no chance that Bitcoin will ever change the 21 million hard cap, which the obvious answer is like, absolutely, yes, like, I mean, that would, that would invalidate most of the properties of Bitcoin. But they don't seem to kind of block that, right? They're still sort of asking questions about, okay, well, what happens if Bitcoin can't support the fee market, then are changes going to happen that they've still seemingly and again, this is sort of like coming from the perspective that I think we're both trying to argue against is that there is this sort of like neutral cryptocurrency lens. And I and like defusing that bomb seems to be strange because you're always sort of, you know, for some reason, the cryptocurrency market has been really good at, in becoming the central frame. And mm -hmm, therefore, mm -hmm. you're always like met with questions that seemingly like have to be, you have to actually argue against the entirety of the frame of the question. <laughs> like as opposed to answer it itself, because again, there it's coming from such a different perspective. 100% uh, agree with that. And th this framing thing, again, is, is really important. And the fact that, oh, how, how am I going to phrase this? I want to just tie back to, to user rights and what you said about market and majority, right? Is that the way a functional market works is not by changing the, the rules that the players of the game, like, so, so if the market is, is a game effectively, being able to change the rules of the game mid-play is not actually a functional market. What, what it is is like you do that and you argue that a majority of people wanted to change the rules of said game. You then impose the rules onto everybody else. I'm trying to think of a, an analogy here to, to sort of like Bitcoin is that even if a bunch of people want to change the rules of the game, it's like it's like a universal law. It's, it's, well, I think, it's I think the there. way that this has been phrased so far is like Bitcoin is apolitical, right? Like I think that's the best argument that mm -hmm, I've seen mm -hmm. put forward is that Bitcoin not only rejects political apparatuses, right? It removes your rights from being subject to the political apparatuses, but it makes Bitcoin is constructed in such a way where political groups, even to the extent that they emerge, they can't actually impact or or make any decision that affects you. And I think that's a hard argument to get across. I think I'm intending to kind of work on this a little bit more because I do feel like that's one of the most powerful arguments for Bitcoin is that it is apolitical, that it in some ways it is anti-democratic, right? It doesn't function totally like totally. democracy does, right? And you can almost look at Bitcoin governance as sort of an evolutionary step away from democracy. Like, you know, and totally. I think that's a conversation that like, I understand why people haven't made that argument, but maybe it's time because... I don't know. To me, I feel like Bitcoin is post-democracy, like in, in Dude, some ways, right? Yeah. I have 3,000 words of this article written up on. <laughs> literally, it's Excellent. called Bitcoin is not democratic. Bitcoin is apolitical. Like literally, you just fucking there pulled on that thread. So, so that'll, be, that'll be the later this month or November article for Bitcoin Magazine. But it's literally, you just nailed it. Bitcoin is totally post-democratic. It exists in a realm in which... The masses can do whatever the fuck they want to do, and my Bitcoin is my Bitcoin, and you know I enforce the rules, etc. It's like that right there is so foreign to the existing world in which people believe that democracy is some sort of panacea. Like you said, they can't fucking grok it. They don't understand it. And for me, I mean, 
so I'm in Costa Rica at the moment and so I'm down here with my girlfriend and, you know, we've kind of like been having friends and, you know, all these girls over and stuff like that. Long story. Anyway. Um, Hang out with Mersh's yeah. ghost, Mersh's ghost as well. Mersh's ghost, basically, literally. <laughs> I'm recreating that now. So anyway, they're all sort of like feminine and, you know, everyone sort of flows, ends up flowing into that whole like, oh, you know, equality and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And I was actually having this discussion yesterday about like why democracy is such a bad idea. And I tried to use sort of uh, the idea of uh, rule by committee as an example when deciding what a, let's say, a household of 20 people would like to buy from the shopping center, right, or, or would like to eat. And I said, all right, there's, there's two ways. It's either everyone works individually, takes their own individual money and goes to the shop and buys whatever the fuck they want, or they take their money, they put it in a pool, and then as a committee, they go and decide what everyone's going to eat because, you know, they're going to pool the money together and buy what needs to be bought. And there's, of the 20 people, 11 vote for broccoli, three vote for meat, and the remaining six vote for fucking salad or some shit. So then because, hey, the committee won, you know, everyone's going to eat broccoli. So now the people that voted for salad and meat, they got to eat fucking broccoli as well. So then they get pissed off about that. So then they start lobbying, wasting their time and energy lobbying to everyone that, hey, meat is better than fucking broccoli, so we should all eat broccoli. Sorry, we should all eat meat. And then, you know, the, the next time the vote comes around and they pull their money and everything, I was like, think about the amount of fucking time and energy we waste doing that. So I was kind of trying to use that as a framing for why democracy is bad because that, that's a whole other rabbit hole. But for me, like, realistically, I, I see democracy as kind of the, the most insidious mechanism of theft that has ever existed like you know socialism communism is bad but it's like overtly bad and we know it's bad and it like collapses really quickly whereas you know democracy is like this method of leeching from the system but allowing it to sort of grow to the point where the leech or the parasite gets too big and it kind of ends up consuming itself yeah but that's a, and i think it's a tough framing because i think most especially intellectual people and i'll just interject that because i do think that's mm -hmm. important like have a favorable view of democracies as enshrining mm -hmm. liberal values and i do think there's a long history of that i understand what you're saying being mostly true i would say right like i mean i think if you look at the lineage of different governance structures in, in history i think you could you could probably argue that especially when compared with communism and monarchies and some of these other systems democracy despite, despite its imperfections has served us roughly pretty well right and i think that's why that's one of the risks that I think of in actually injecting this argument or, or kind of talking about it further. But there's also a lot of unrest about democracies right now, right? So particularly in the United States, I would say that's true. There is. I, I think this is too deep a rabbit hole to go now. I think once I finish the actual article and we've got some threads we can pull on, then we dive into that article. But I think suffice it to say is like Bitcoin, again, doesn't suffer from the tragedy of the commons that the world has essentially suffered from, irrespective of whether it was democracy, communism, socialism, fucking namerism, it doesn't matter. All of them end up suffering from the tragedy of the commons because the rights can be changed by the majority, whereas Bitcoin doesn't exist in that realm. It is something in which the user, the individual, the owner of the Bitcoin holds something in which the property right is not subject to the whims of the group, the foundation, the majority. Well, so let's talk about like tactics then a little bit, right? Because I think, you know, me and you differ a little bit on approach. You know, and I would say mm -hmm. that one of the lightning rods in this conversation has been, and I would say conversation about Bitcoin maximalism is, is sort of the shitcoin attitude, right? That everything that isn't Bitcoin is shitcoin. And we talk about them dismissively. 
sort of aggressively. I'm just wondering your, your thoughts on that. I know you're a big staunch proponent of the Bitcoin shitcoin line. I try not to use that phrase, but you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's for my own reasons. I'm just curious, like how you're thinking about that currently. Do you think that meme has sort of like served its time or do you think that'll continue to be like sort of an, an important thing in our in conversations? I think it'll continue to be an important thing. Like I'll, I'll use what Ben Kaufman's doing with Clown World today as an example. Right, right. You know, we need to ridicule what's stupid. And, and you know, there's at this point, I used to get riled up and like a lot more emotional about this stuff. And I think I would like really be a little bit more vicious about it. These days, I kind of like laugh about it and ridicule it. And I think that that framing needs to continue because that frame is actually one of the frames we can own. The Bitcoin, not shitcoin frame is there. There is no Ethereum, not shitcoin frame. That doesn't exist. Right. So I think that should continue. I think it's hilarious. I think it's funny. I think, you know, one of my favorite things to see on Twitter is kind of like this emergence of memes, like genuinely a fucking hilarious. Like, you know, I, I love Rob, very love, but the memes that came out of the fucking BitClout thing were the funniest shit I've fucking ever seen in my life, man. Like, it was just, it was great. So I, I enjoy that. I think that needs to continue. And I think that is part of what Bitcoin's spirit is like it is like rough it's raw it's natural it's organic it's the fucking wild wild west and by no means are we anywhere out of the woods yet like bitcoin like i was made this argument yesterday to our marketing team that sort of does some of the marketing for amber like they were doing an article and they you know did the whole little adoption curve bullshit and they're like got the button of you are here as somewhere in like the middle of early majority i was like what the fuck are you talking about i said we are so like we are still in the early days of early adopters, like we don't touch early majority until one sat equals one cent. Like that's when we start to move into quote unquote some mainstream success and a real parabolic move. Like when people stop thinking about Bitcoin and they start thinking about how many sats they can accumulate because one cent you will buy you a single sat. And when people start to see one sat, one Satoshi go from one cent to two cents in a day, which again, mark my words, that'll happen this year. Sorry, not this year, but this decade. My bad. It would be nice if it happened this year. But um, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, but what do you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nurse's ghost, right? That's what I yeah. um, That's when we sort of start to move into the next stage of Bitcoin adoption. Maybe at that point, the number and the saturation of people in and around Bitcoin, like the memification, everything will drown out. But that core, I think, will always exist. So there's no... None of this, like, oh, there's a time and a place for it. It's, I think it's fucking beautiful. I think it's hilarious. I think one of the best things people like, you know, Murray Rothbard and all that sort of stuff did to, like, the establishment was basically ridicule them, but ridicule them intelligently. And what I see in memes and the quote-unquote toxicity is, like, a deep level of understanding of nuance and intelligence that is, like, compacted and presented in a fucking meme. And it's beautiful. It's grand. It's artwork. It is fucking hilarious. And I think the Bitcoin shitcoin frame will continue, will subsist. And I, I will definitely be you know, waving the flag for that. I don't give a shit about who I scare away in the process. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would just say I, I think I tolerate the shitcoin stuff. I think more like I don't I'm not against it. Right. I think my only qualm to that is that I think, I think it needs to be balanced by sort of argumentation that's also empathetic right i mm-hmm. think that's some of the recent converse, like criticism towards bitcoin maximalism like you know that i'm also a big advocate of bitcoin toxicity i'm, I'm a big fan of that mm-hmm. movement as a whole but I, again i do think maybe we need a bit more bitcoin empathy because you know in a lot of respects it is hard to understand these arguments there is the original frame that many people are coming to cryptocurrency at large is so polluted 
and so difficult. You know, you almost have to detox people from these arguments, right? And and again, like, yeah, I think that aggression and like you know derision can be a powerful tool, right? But I don't think that anyone's going to argue that at that. I think for me myself personally, right, I was faced with a lot of derision against like my work, like over the years, especially during you know when I was an early journalist. And I think that helped shape my thought, right? I was able to kind of come to that at face value, sort of objectively ask whether my work was worthy of derision. And ultimately, say a lot of the early stuff, yes, like, I mean, that was the case, right? I don't stand by that stuff now. And I think, like, you know, to the extent that I was in a position to, like, quote, do journalism on cryptocurrencies, you know, early on, I probably didn't do great jobs. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, I was able to kind of, I do think a lot of people, they don't engage with criticism as well, right? I mean, just as a society at large, like, people don't... Absolutely really engaged like you know we're not humans are not great animals at engaging with criticism right so i think there does have to be some equal opposite approach and i think if there's anything i'd say to that i'd just like to see it balance out some more because i yeah. think mm-hmm. i would just argue that it is kind of balanced like the horses for courses i don't know if you guys use this in america it's we that i've phrase. literally never heard that phrase. <laughs> okay we, we use that in um in australia it just means each to their own kind of thing so horses for courses is like means that there's something for you, something for you, something for you, something for you. So it's like most people will not see a lot of the Bitcoin toxicity. It's like you, you kind of need to be in there. And, and a lot of people just won't get the memes. They won't get the jokes and all that sort of stuff. Like they may come in via one of Breedlove's articles or something. And then, you know, I'm kind of further down the track with when you read one of my articles, it's like getting beaten over the head with a stick, right? right. So yeah. it's like it's a little bit different. So I think we kind of speak to different different audiences and I mean, I would argue that in many ways it is like balanced. Like, I mean, for, for example, my girlfriend, I did give her one of my older articles when she first started. And mind you, like you look at my evolution. When you go back to my early, early writings about Bitcoin, so, so back in 2016, 17, like it was framing Bitcoin through, you know, an anthropological lens. And it was kind of like happy, happy, fucking Yuval Harari inspired money's a shared fiction, et cetera, and all this sort of stuff, right? And it's like very accessible that article still to this day converts people into Bitcoin in a nice way. Fast forward three years and I'm like, fucking burn down the state, fuck the masses, you know, all this sort of shit. Like it's like, it's much more violent, but I've kind of like dug deeper. And now my audience is no longer the top of the funnel. Like if we're going to put it in that framing. And, And I think what that means is like, as the funnel inevitably gets larger because more and more people it's not that they want Bitcoin, it's that they fucking need it. The top of the funnel will always be a little bit more welcoming. There will always be content created. But so like you're saying, get, are you saying that Bitcoin toxicity is like a bottom of the funnel? <laughs> like, it is. It really is. It really is. <laughs> it's like the closer you get to enlightenment, like, and this actually is reminiscent of Zen, of everything. You know, when you come to a Zen master, the closer you get to the Zen master, the more he beats you over the head with a stick for no fucking reason until you become enlightened and realize you didn't need the master uh, right, in the first right. place that you so, were the so master. So you're saying because you should know better at that point, therefore you're penalized. You should be penalized because you should know at that point. As you're it's already. a wake-up call. Exactly. It's a wake-up call. So this is sort of like the case across all sorts of things like this, like mastery is, is process. And you know it gets more raw and real the closer you come to to the center. And, and that's that's the role that maximalism or toxic, call it maximalism, or what I'm going to try and maybe, maybe I could create a term. I think I'm going to change mine to like Svetsky is, is a Bitcoin extremist or something like that. So like, I think it's part of the spectrum and I don't think it's unbalanced in any way. I think if anything, it's the duty of people who are more, I guess, eloquent, 
and objective in their writing and their speech like you to reinforce what, so let's say a meme says like a thousand words in like this one fucking meme that makes fun of someone and it's hilarious and it's like a dense piece of information, but 99.9% of people are not going to fucking understand what the hell's going on. So then I would then go and write a, you know, an article about it that beats people over the head with a stick, which elaborates on the meme. And then you would then write a, you know, a piece that is more objective and accessible that brings people in to sort of understand that. And then they kind of go down the funnel. Like, again, I, I think that's a beautiful process and it's emerged organically without committee. It's fucking incredible. All right, Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor. This show is brought to you by Ledin.io. I have been super, super impressed with the guys over at Ledin. I've actually known the co-founders, Adam and Mauricio, for a very long time. I've had the pleasure to watch them build Ledin up from a tiny, tiny startup to now a super impressive institutional grade Bitcoin and crypto lender. Y'all. I'm so impressed with these guys. They are offering some of the best rates out there. I don't think anyone even comes close to touching them. You can get 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin that you deposit into Ledin interest accounts, and you can get 8.5% on USDC deposits. I mean, I know all the competitors. They're not even close. If you're going to put your crypto and your Bitcoin into an interest account, Ledin is by far the best. And on top of that, like I said, these guys are hardcore Bitcoiners and they know the products and the services that Bitcoiners want and appreciate. They come up with B2X. It allows you to put your Bitcoin in. They leverage it up and you can, with one click of the mouse, get twice the exposure to Bitcoin. So if you're super bullish, Ledin has you covered with a super, super easy way to get leverage with B2X. And then on top of that, they know that Bitcoiners care about your reserves. They know that Bitcoiners don't like under-reserved and not full-reserved financial institutions. So they are pushing the frontier in transparency in the digital asset lending space. And they are the first digital asset lender to do a full proof of reserves and proof of attestation through a Mariano LLC, a public accounting firm. So the letting guys, they know what Bitcoiners like. They are legit. I encourage you guys to check them out. Do your own research and go to ledin.io. That is L-E-D-N.io and learn more. Hello, give me another question. Let me hear you a question I'm struggling with right now a little bit, right? So I think one of the things is that let's accept this frame that Bitcoin is the strongest technology we have for protecting user rights. And let's say, you know, people at the bottom of the funnel getting hit with their toxicity, they know that. Let's just say they engage in a known trade-off, right? They're using some system that they know is weaker, right? Let's just say it's like, you know, there's a lot of controversy about the systems being built on Bitcoin, especially when you get into sort of things like stacks or uh, other liquid things that are kind of like second layer Bitcoin things that maybe don't qualify as Bitcoin. I think like what extent is then it, it okay for an individual with that knowledge, in your opinion, to make that trade-off, right? If they do so knowingly, right? So I guess the question is, is there ever a case where... Let's just assume the person isn't being misrepresented, right? Let's just assume the project on the other end is, is completely representing correctly that they're putting that, that user in a system where they have weaker rights than in Bitcoin. Is it okay for you? Do you think those systems are good and holistic and adding to Bitcoin? Okay, so can I rephrase it this way? Um, I'm, a, <laughs> sure. I, I, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist and I talk about private property rights, blah, 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 blah. And then I turn around and use liquid BTC to perform something. 
should I be attacked? Is that sort of the question you're asking? Or should I feel yeah, bad Yeah, exactly, right? Like, to what extent are you... If, so again, this is, goes back to agency, right? Like, I think, mm-hmm. in, I think most Bitcoiners would say, like, we're trying to kind of free people, right? We want them to be in a financial system where they have rights. But in some cases, some of these systems seem to ask people to trade off those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so my question is, to the extent that they know that trade off is happening, mm-hmm. you know, is that okay, right? Should we demonize these systems? Like Liquid is a great example, right? Mm-hmm. Liquid, I think, represents the product, how it's built, right? It's a top yeah. layer system on Bitcoin. It's a multi-sig contract with a federated uh, network that controls the token. If you're going to engage in that system, willfully right like is that a problem is that system a problem hell no hell no hell no you know as much as i'm a rabid fucking toxic fucking extreme psychopathic misogynistic whatever i'm trying to think of all the things people have called me clash swabs spawn type bitcoiner i think that's perfectly fucking fine it's your bitcoin choose to do with it as you wish it's one of the most beautiful things about bitcoin I actually know some really good, solid fucking Bitcoiners who, to this day, like they, they live out in the middle of fucking nowhere. They don't talk to anybody. They don't interact with the world. You know, they're not really on Bitcoin Twitter. But what they do is they are really good traders and they trade shit coins and they make more Bitcoin. And that's their whole fucking game in life. And that's all they care about. And, you know, power to them. They're like, no, I fucking hate Ethereum. I hate Vitalik. I hate what it well, stands sorry, for. They, they, they're still Bitcoiner. In your book, they, can, they still meet the definition of Bitcoiners. Yeah. Now, look, could they do something better with their lives? Sure. Like, but should they go out and build a Bitcoin company and make a mess of it? Probably not because, you know, they're probably better at sitting on a computer doing that, surfing and, you know, maybe jerking off on Pornhub. Like, it's up to them, like, you know, whatever they want to do, but they get it. Now, you know, one could argue, and I know Dita Bob's got this argument, like trading shitcoins makes you a shitcoiner because you're giving them liquidity and you're giving them credence. And yes, I get that argument. But it's not my job to to sort of tell you not to do that because if like going out like for example and saying you're a Bitcoin maximalist but then holding your wealth in Ethereum is a bit how's it going? Like that's a bit hypocritical. But you know, maybe flipping some Ethereum and stuff like that. I don't know. That does get a little bit hard. If I pull it back just for a second, is like to your liquid argument, is there will be products and services that emerge off the top of Bitcoin that look like liquid or that are abstractions even of liquid, etc., that will exist, that offer a clear trade-off and that present themselves as what they are, where you as an individual can make an economic calculation on that trade-off. Like the reality of the world, and this is something that people like the Keynesians and the democracies of the world and all this sort of shit the statists basically don't understand, is that there is trade-offs with decisions. And The beauty of Bitcoin, at least, is that when a trade-off is made, there's no way to socialize out the back end a mistake for the bad consequence of a trade-off. So if you do go make a trade-off and you do get penalized if you're either unlucky or stupid, you have no way of being remade whole again by committee or by the state being able to reproduce or socialize your loss, right? And that's kind of what's different about Bitcoin. So I fully expect in the coming decade there to be a lot of Bitcoin products, you know, things being built on the Bitcoin stack, etc. And in there to be some bad apples who misrepresent what they're doing or, you know, mismanage what they're doing and people will lose that. And I expect there to be fucking like a wild, wild west scenario where some people lie about it. And there will be honest companies that say this is the trade-off and people still do it and they still fucking lose their Bitcoin, etc. But the beauty of it is it'll be natural 
wealth redistribution by the market in the sense that the loser does not get made whole again because they took a trade-off. And then those who didn't make any trade-offs and just held the Bitcoin in cold storage and never touched it, they're sitting there laughing. You know, they're like, they're, they're happy about it. And that's sort of the benefit of it. Then that maybe helps me identify or, or at least things like Ethereum, et cetera, et cetera. Like, see, liquid represents itself as this trade-off for usage, but a lower security and custodianship for Bitcoin, whereas Ethereum is a completely different pitch, right? It's like, no, Bitcoin is shit. We're better. Come and give us your money and enrich us. Like, it's in a different realm again. So anyway, I'll, I'll shut up there for a second because I think you had a you know, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, maybe I'll jump in there and just say I think this is something that I still think is kind of confusing even to me as someone who's been, in, I guess, in and around Bitcoin for a while. Is it does seem like we have this kind of weird unwritten moral code, right? And I think this is implied in a lot of our evangelism that we do divide such dark lines between Bitcoin and shitcoins and, and things like that. And I've struggled with the question of, am I a Bitcoiner? Like, I don't even, I don't actually know or pretend to answer that question. I, the way that I would look at that, I think, is that anyone is capable at any time of having their incentives put them in a situation where they're not aligned with Bitcoin. So I, mm -hmm. I prefer to look at this question, I think, a lot more just like you don't exist absolutely as a Bitcoiner. It's merely like your, your place in that space and time. It's like sort of are your actions aligned with Bitcoin or are they not aligned with Bitcoin? So the way that I prefer to look at that is Currently, like most of my work, or I'd say 100% of my work, is dedicated right now to furthering Bitcoin, explaining Bitcoin, whether it's Bitcoin Magazine, helping Kraken with their open source Bitcoin developments, right? I'm, I'm trying to align my work towards Bitcoin. Does that make me a Bitcoiner? I don't know. I don't, I, and this is where I think the absolute distinction of Bitcoin maximalists can be a little bit problematic because I think we're already in this conversation, like referred to other situations where it does seem situational in that your decision at any moment could put you out of context with Bitcoin. That doesn't make you bad or per se, but you know, you might not be aligned with Bitcoin. I don't know if that makes sense, but that, that's how I yeah. kind of prefer to look at it. It does. It does. Like for me personally, like a little bit of history here, people don't know this, but when I was first building Amber as a, as a Bitcoin only dollar cost averaging app, I had in the early days, not only did I have an opportunity to do a, a major ICO, I wanted to do like a Binance style ICO in the beginning and all this sort of shit. But this was like a, a moral question for me is people know this part of the story, which is I went away, I took 20 white papers with me that had raised between one to a hundred million. And I went to Byron Bay for a weekend just to kind of like relax and read these and kind of glean the wisdom of people who had raised a bunch of money. I walked out of there 30 fucking points of IQ, you know, less like I literally became stupid. I was like, what in the fuck is this dribble? Like, what is this? And I just can't in fucking good conscience do this because I actually care about what Bitcoin means to the world. And, and that was still like kind of earlier on in my journey is that like, I still really like, I had a gut sense about what Bitcoin's impact in the world would be, but not to the extent that I have today by, by no means. But I still like, my gut was telling me, man, there's easy money to be made here, but I can't do this. And I want to be in and around, like I think Bitcoin is going to be here for a long time and blah, blah, blah. So I wanted to kind of not sell my soul. And then later on, when we started building the product, like, dude, I had the Dash Foundation offering me money, Litecoin, like all these fucking shitcoin companies, like they were offering me money to like, instead of be a Bitcoin accumulation app to like help people dollar cost average into their shitcoin. I turned down millions of dollars whilst we were running out of money and I was out there fucking campaigning, selling a chunk of the fucking company for equity, selling equity in the company for fucking dollars. Like we barely scraped through after like 20 hours a day, seven days a week for six months straight, 
fucking trying to raise in the in the doldrums of the bear market at the end of 2018 with people fucking waving millions of dollars in front of me saying it's okay i kind of like almost picture william wallace getting uh, <laughs> gutted at the end or it's like just say mercy mercy right and then you know freedom so i think it takes a particular type of character now i i could have easily sold my soul and done that but i didn't and i think this is where in some senses i relate to that like there is a bit of bitterness i, I must admit like in some senses i'm like man Maybe I was the dumb shit. Like I could have fucking pulled a $20 million ICO. I could have got a bunch of money from all these dickheads. And then I could have built a really nice product because I'm still a product guy. I still know how to run a business. But like I chose to take the, and this is where maybe it ties back into the moral argument about what is Bitcoin and what is a Bitcoiner is like someone who can refuse temptation and have a strong enough character to do the right thing irrespective of, of the temptation that sits there right before him. And, and that kind of, I guess, temperance maybe and i don't know like how else to describe it is is rare in the world and i think that is one of the attributes that i see in bitcoiners and tying it back to um who you are as a as a person and like particular circumstances and stuff like that it's a tough one i i maybe what it does like the the toxic maximalism is like is there and it's maybe it's like a helpful reminder for ourselves because maybe if that wasn't honestly maybe if that wasn't there in 2017 2018 Maybe if that wasn't there, maybe I would have just been convinced enough to go and take the temptation and say mercy, right? Maybe oh, I would have. But I saw that community and I saw like what I was passionate about and I started writing words on fucking paper, reinforcing what I believed. And maybe that together was a big part of the reason why I didn't go and sell my soul to the shitcoin. So I think you're talking about like toxic maximalism as like the conscious of Bitcoin, right? Like the- Yeah. <laughs> It's like a conscience. Yeah, exactly. It's like the Dr. Dre and Eminem, you know, it's like um, <laughs> sitting there. It's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something there. Well, let me something ask another good. shitcoin framing question. Cause I know again, like talking about like this divide of world views here. It's like, so something I've been thinking about recently, it's the extent that we can define Bitcoin. Let's just, again, accept the framing of the article that I put out on Forbes that Bitcoin is, you know, the technology that best ensures user rights, the money that best ensures the financial rights of individuals. And let's just say that there is this other market of other cryptocurrencies, and we can define them as just a broad class of things that offer people weaker rights. Let's just kind of cut it clean in the middle right there. Like, where do you fall politically on on the spectrum of like, do those things have a a right to exist even poorly? And and I guess, to what extent do you personally, like, like if, if governments decided to kind of treat that class of cryptocurrencies differently, or like come after them, is that something you support? Do you think about that at all? To like, what extent you support free markets, even if this whole kind of class of cryptocurrencies is problematic? I completely support anybody rolling their own sh- uh, Sorry, I don't support them. I support the freedom to go and roll your own shitcoin, and then I support the freedom to people to ridicule you into oblivion. Do I support governments going out with their henchmen and beating people over the head because their monopoly is being threatened? Actually, no. But simultaneously, I do support the idea that Bitcoiners can laugh at the shitcoiners for that happening. The fact is one monopolist is threatening, you know, the upcoming monopolist or wannabe monopolist is threatening the existing monopolist and we can sit back with some popcorn and laugh at them now shitting their pants for pissing off the older lion, I guess. So in my mind, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. 
I guess I would just say like with that frame, I guess it's, yeah, it's tough. There's a trade off, right? Cause like on one hand, we've talked a lot in this conversation about there being a frame of cryptocurrencies and that being the hardest thing to break. And then how do you actually break that? Right. You can evangelize all you want, but at the end of the day, the default view of most people is just, Oh, I'm on coin market cap. Here's this wall of cryptocurrencies <laughs> that are all seemingly the same with something like a disclaimer, like, Hey, these other cryptocurrencies do not offer you the same rights as Bitcoin you know, does Bitcoin deserve greater protection? Because I, I think this is where it gets kind of confusing, right? Because I think the claim of the cryptocurrency advocates or the agnostics, as I call them in the article, essentially seems to be that Bitcoin exists. And because Bitcoin is entitled to this designation as this decentralized commodity, we should be, <laughs> we should mm-hmm. benefit from mm-hmm. that distinction as well, right? So there does seem to be this kind of relationship happening here where these other cryptocurrencies are sort of, I think I wrote this down in like my notes somewhere, pretty recently where I think that most like non-Bitcoin cryptocurrencies are really always trying to convince you of about three things. Like one, what they're doing is not Bitcoin. Two, because they're not Bitcoin, they should be able to take greater liberties with your rights. And then three, that the USD market for their coin validates that decision. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I think that has to be the thought process there. And this is why I think the cryptocurrency market itself has become so problematic. Because again, I think most of the crypto agnostics, they say, oh, well, this is okay because the price of our coin is going up. And if our price of our coin was going down, it wouldn't be okay. And I, mm-hmm. I just don't know how to deal with that moral framing because it, it seems to be, to me, something that like seems very alien to me. Like I don't know why you would, why you would be able to claim that a market is somehow an effective adjudicator of people's rights, or like you know that whether a decision was moral, right? If you don't think a government to make a moral decision, like why do you think a market is capable of that? That's a big question. But before I go into that, I just wanted to mention something about like your three categories of like what's going through a shitcoiner's mind when they want to like we're different to Bitcoin so we can take different liberties and make different decisions that Bitcoin can and here's our justification we've got a market cap. It's really funny how all of a sudden when governments start to say, oh, we're going to start looking into you, then they're like, oh, 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 but but no, 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 we are like Bitcoin. So give us the same classification. Right. <laughs> so it's like To me, it's like there's a really interesting dynamic here is like, You'll never see Bitcoiners change their narrative to say, oh, no, no, we're more like Ethereum when it counts. And then, no, we're less like Ethereum when it doesn't count. It's like, it's always like, no, we are fucking unlike any of you. Now, notwithstanding, like you said in the beginning of this discussion, it's like some people use a poor frame, like they go into the cryptocurrency frame to substantiate why Bitcoin is superior. But fundamentally speaking, a Bitcoiner is is one who understands that Bitcoin lives in a different category to the rest of these things. And what shitcoiners and cryptocurrency and crypto agnostic enthusiasts do is they flip flop between we're like Bitcoin when when someone is chasing us and wanting to enforce something like the, the existing monopolist wants to do something. But we're unlike Bitcoin if the existing monopolist is not peering into our affairs, which <laughs> that is that is that is very telling. Right. And the other piece there is like Bitcoiners aren't really too concerned with again what the government can and cannot do with bitcoin and and i think the government had they been able to do anything about bitcoin would have done something about it back in the days of silk road when bitcoin was ten dollars like we are well beyond their capacity to make a dent or hurt bitcoin the only thing they can do is disable some individual's capacity to acquire bitcoin which will only create a black market so they'll find another way to acquire it anyway but it's like the governments are in a catch-22 with respect to Bitcoin specifically, but they're not in a catch-22 with respect to any other fucking cryptocurrency because that whole space has an operational framework that 
exists in the old realm. Bitcoin doesn't operate in this realm. So they lack the capacity to do anything about Bitcoin, but they do not lack the capacity to come down on the rest of the shitcoiners, whether it's from Ethereum or all the way down the fucking list. They can do whatever the fuck they want. And that really, I think, is a, a nice indicator for you know the fact that these two things live in a different class, like they're, they're in different galaxies. Well, I think, I think it, so what you were saying about the crypto market, that's why I think like, you know, you asked like, well, what's the state going to do in that situation? I, I think it increasingly seemed kind of obvious to me that like, you'll take advantage of the cryptocurrency market, which is why, you know, I've sort of been a bit keen recently to sort of start probing Bitcoiners to start sort of developing argumentation. Let's just say, hypothetically, one day, like Bitcoin is not number one on coin market cap for whatever fucking reason, like it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you assume that the coin market cap doesn't operate on logic anyway. You know what I mean? Like I feel like a lot of Bitcoin Bitcoin maximalists like you log on to a coin market cap and it feels good that Bitcoin's number one, right? Yeah. In, yeah, in, yeah, some, yeah. in some in some way it reinforces our belief, right? So and I mm-hmm. and I think my worry is that we've become kind of addicted to that. I I mean yep. I think you know, Pierre has sort of pushed back on me about that. He said, Well, Bitcoin will always be the number one, it's the most supreme. I think Rodolfo presented some criticism of this where he's like, if Bitcoin fails to get liquidity, then it's just failing. But I don't know. I mean, I, to me, it's like coin market cap is such an absurd structure. Like it, it's almost devoid of any logic or reasoning, right? It's just a big list of like random coins times by their price and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. market cap. I don't find it impossible to think there'll be some situation someday where Bitcoin is, let's just say, number two on that list for any reason, like however illogical. And yes. I, I think I worry about the current state of the Bitcoiner because I think that I don't know if we're psychologically prepared for that attack. To me, it's like, that's what I would do. <laughs> like, obviously, mm-hmm. if I were going to try to come after you, I would hit you where it hurts. And I think for a lot of Bitcoiners, it is this idea that Bitcoin is number one, which is why, you know, the thing that I like about the user rights argument is that it sort of, it removes that sort of issue for me, I think, right? Like, well, well if Bitcoin is number two, was are you still Bitcoin Maxwell? The answer is yes, it's still the best tool for ensuring financial Individual rights. sovereignty, yeah. Dude, you touch on such a good point there. And I think I was trying to say this on the panel during Bitcoin 2021, was I was trying to draw the line between slave coin and Bitcoin. And maybe this is the new framing. Maybe we transcend Bitcoin to like Bitcoin and go never, from yeah, <laughs> Bitcoin to slave coin. <laughs> Well, because that's basically what everything else represents, right? Is like, so I, I did a pod with Pomp straight after the conference. And in there, I laid the case for why Ethereum is actually the best possible opportunity for a state sponsored attack on Bitcoin. Yeah, 100%. Um, and maybe that was like triggered by a discussion with you and I or something. But like, I think here's how the state will operate they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They clued onto the fact that they can't turn this fucking Bitcoin thing off. You know, China took a fucking hammer baseball bat to the fucking mining industry right. and you know slowed the blocks down for two weeks and they did fucking nothing so like right, they're, right. Tr- they're trembling they're absolutely fucking shitting their pants they've got they've gone and bought a whole new set of brown pants just so they can fucking manage their week right so they can't do anything about it so what do they do they're like oh we'll talk about cbdc's blah 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 but they're fucking incompetent by the time they roll anything out that's functional that works you know that will compete with the retail banks and all this sort of stuff. They'll have pushback and all this kind of crap. What they'll end up doing, and this is a really good pitch, is they'll go and sit down with Joe Lubin and friends, you know, Vitalik, my balls and all of that. And they'll be like, hey, boys, we have an idea. We're going to partner together and deliver central bank digital currencies that are decentralized to the marketplace. And 
Then Vitalik, Joe and friends, maybe Hoskinson will come back in there. They'll have a decision to make, which is, you know, do we partner with this and share? Yeah, exactly. It'll be literally a family reunion. Um, Or they might even compete. Maybe Hoskinson will say, look, you know, I've got Cordano is better than Ethereum. And, you know, he'll try and do a better deal with Klaus. (laughs) But like, so the game theory will change there and they'll be like, okay, who can get the large customer? Because to them, the customer is not you and me. To them, the customer is the government and the World Economic Forum and the IMF, like they'll be like, oh, that's how we can get from one to many because they're thinking about a fucking product to sell to people. Whereas Bitcoin's not thinking about that. Bitcoin is thinking about obsoleting the existing system and the infrastructure. These guys are going to try and partner with these guys. And there'll be a situation here is like, maybe Vitalik is like, innocently stupid and he'll be like oh there are risk here because you know we might create a surveillance coin and then joe is going to sit there and say hey no 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 this is a fantastic opportunity for us to grow the ethereum user base and spread this you know around the world blah 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 and at some point though you know there may be like a let's let's say there is some because i've actually met some libertarian guys who are totally anti-state but are still pro-ethereum maybe they'll put some brakes on Ethereum quickly partnering with the World Economic Forum. And then, you know, Hoskinson's going to put forward a submission and then these guys will lean towards Hoskinson and then Ethereum, Joe and stuff are going to be like, look, we're going to lose the fucking contract. We need to partner with them. And let's say somehow they neither decide, they're like, maybe this is a bad decision. Maybe their conscience actually comes and hits them. Then IMF, World Economic Forum and friends will just turn around and say, all right, well, uh, we know where you live. We know your family. How does Guantanamo Bay sound for the next 20 years or, you know, perhaps North Korea or whatever. And all of a sudden you'll see them get in bed. So, so it's either going to happen by force or by economic Coerce, opportunity. Yeah. Exactly. In some way, shape or form. So the future will be a partnership between one of the, the high market cap shit coins, maybe a multiple, maybe a blend of the high market cap shit coins to deliver a quote unquote decentralized central bank digital currency, which is a fucking misnomer in the first place, but people are so fucking dumb that they'll believe that shit and they will go and buy that. And very likely, very likely from a market cap perspective, it may surpass Bitcoin, Right, but it doesn't fucking matter. It matters to the extent that we've made so many economic arguments for Bitcoin. I think like if there's something that worries me, I think there's a couple things about the current generation of Bitcoiners. I think one of them is, you know, we've sort of weaned everybody on these economic arguments, you know, everybody's promising hyper Bitcoinization tomorrow. And again, like there's this weird contradiction. I was on Save the Ends podcast yesterday where I was sort of talking about this, where we talk about making high, low time preference individuals, but on the other hand, we're sort of seemingly sort of pinning this idea that Bitcoin needs to keep going up exponentially. By the way, I mean, I agree that it will keep going up exponentially because that appears to be what is happening based on the data. But again, I sort of worry about the expectations that we're setting. And the only thing that I think I've reasoned that we should do about it is I think you have to start kind of undercutting some of these economic arguments by just sort of, not that the economic arguments are wrong, it's just that the cryptocurrency market like exists in such a way where it's not even going to validate the claims correctly, right? Like the whole system itself is so convoluted and non-functional that I think that is what gets manipulated. And the, and the more that like our feelings are attached to that system, I think the harder that it's going to hurt. I agree. Bitcoiners, I am so excited to tell you about the Bitcoin 2022 conference. You guys, Bitcoin 2021 was absolutely a smash hit success. It was over 13,000 Bitcoiners coming together, breaking the barriers on who can come together and celebrate freedom, celebrate Bitcoin. And the energy was absolutely electric. 
Unfortunately, it was just oversubscribed. There's just people flowing out everywhere. And this year we are learning, we are making the conference bigger and better. We are moving over to the Miami Beach Convention Center, and we are going to be throwing a massive four-day festival for Bitcoin, celebrating Bitcoin, bringing together the greatest minds in Bitcoin and the greatest businesses in Bitcoin. And lastly, the culture of Bitcoin all together. We have a four-day extravaganza planned for you guys for Bitcoin 2022. Day one is going to be industry day. It is a day where you can buy a special ticket in order to just mingle and make business deals happen. Day two and three is going to be a full-blown Bitcoin conference. This is our main conference. This is going to be on April 7th and 8th. And then lastly, we have the Sound Music Festival day four. Imagine going to Coachella, but for Bitcoin. There's going to be very few talks. It's going to be all about the culture of Bitcoin. It's going to be all about hanging with your fellow plebs. And it's going to be an absolutely amazing time. There's going to be Bitcoin musicians, Bitcoin artists, and all your favorite Bitcoiners and just an amazing environment to party and just see it all, soak it all in, and to get people to realize that a Bitcoin world, a world filled with Bitcoin people doing Bitcoin things is the world that they want to live in. That's what Bitcoin 2022 is all about. That is what the Bitcoin conference is all about. That's what Bitcoin Magazine is all about. So it is going to be a celebration of Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners, and this amazing movement that is going to make the world a better place. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Learn more about the Bitcoin conference. Learn more about all the amazing things that are happening in Miami around the Bitcoin conference and buy your tickets. And guess what? If you buy your tickets with Bitcoin, you save $100 on all the tickets and $1,000 on the whale pass. So if you want the VIP pass, the big kahuna, if you buy with Bitcoin, you save $1,000. That's a lot of stats. So Go and do it right now today. Don't wait. Prices are only going up. This is going to be a can't miss event. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about the deep dive. The deep dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium market intelligence newsletter. This is a no fluff, hard hitting, incredible newsletter going deep into the market, helping you understand what's happening with derivatives, what's happening on chain, what's happening in macro, what's happening with the narrative and what's happening with the tech. My man, Dylan LeClaire, is an absolute savant. He is making his name known in the Bitcoin community, getting shout outs left and right, getting on podcasts left and right. And him and his team are bringing you everything that you need to know about Bitcoin. You don't even have to be on Bitcoin Twitter. You can ignore every other newsletter. This is the newsletter to rule them all. Go over to members.bitcoinmagazine.com. Sign up today. And if you use promo code MACRO, you get a full month for free. You have nothing to lose. What are you waiting for? Sign up, see the incredible work that Dylan and his team are putting out. And if you don't like it, just unsubscribe. You don't pay a dime. But if you do, it's going to be well worth the sats in investment in understanding Bitcoin and gaining the confidence to continue to invest in Bitcoin and making the right moves around Bitcoin. And it's going to be well worth every single Satoshi. Uh, again, can't recommend it enough. That is members.bitcoinmagazine.com, promo code MACRO. Do it today. And this coming back to this argument is like, we need to start waving the flag of Ethereum is slave coin. Uh, Cardano is slave coin. I think we already won the economic frame. Now the shitcoiners are going to chase the economic frame and they're going to 
tinker with the metrics so that they yeah. can make it look like they want I, the economic I think that frame. is the big thing that will emerge after the cycle. I think what will happen is that the halving will prove to be the sufficient motivator of the market. Bitcoin will go up at the end of the year. And then if you're Ethereum in that situation, like, what are you supposed to do? Like, I mean, you've been telling everyone for years that your superior technology, you know, was the special sauce here. And now after all this investment, all that's been done, you know, you mentioned all these other coins. It's like, how do you justify that? And I think the answer mm -hmm. is like, it seems obvious to me that what the adjustment that you make is then you start fiddling more aggressively with the economics because you can, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. you fight mm -hmm. the argument on those grounds. Exactly. And then what we need to do is we need to, by the time they're doing that, we need to then have moved into the frame of Bitcoin, not slave coin, and really frame these guys into slave coin and highlight the fact that they are now changing something which defeats the purpose of why you would buy their slave coin in the first place. I like slave coin. Uh, I feel like Mercia would have liked slave coin. <laughs> I feel like it's a nice... Uh, let me say something else that I think worries me about the, the newer class of Bitcoiners, though, is I do think that in our economic arguments and our arguments about stuff that we're building on Bitcoin, I know you're an entrepreneur in the space, so I'm curious to ask this to you. So, like, what does it mean for you to build on Bitcoin, right? I think in some respects, this cycle, one of the things that I noticed that's, like, kind of again, being here since 2013, I think people are a lot more reticent these days to build things on top of Bitcoin. They're sort of unsure what it means. I'll just give you an example that I do some work with Bitcoin Magazine and even inside the Slack, right? There are people there who are newer. They don't know anything about what sidechains are. They don't know about kind of historical proposals for Bitcoin innovation. I guess to you, like, so what does it mean for you to build on, on Bitcoin? Do you worry about the culture that we've created that is in some ways kind of dismissive to people trying to build on top of Bitcoin? Or what, what's your take on that? I think it's, again, it's, um, it forces someone to really think about what they're doing. I think a culture in which you do have to sell. I'll tell you what, if, it's, if you come up with a business idea and you get a yes straight away from a VC or you get a yes straight away from your first couple of customers, you'll most likely build something shitty. But if you keep getting told and told off and dismissed and all this sort of stuff, it, it'll actually force you to adjust. So, so me being an entrepreneur and fundamentally having been in the product space is that I need to go out and effectively get feedback and adjust the mold and, and really hone in on what the value proposition of what I'm building is. And and this is where I think much of that pressure or perception in and around Bitcoin kind of forces, not through coercion, but forces through you know market demand and need and desire to a Bitcoin company or an entrepreneur to think a little bit more deeply about what they want to build. And again, once you've thought deeply about it, if you can reason and justify why you're building something in the way you're building, then power to you. Like for example, I, with Amber, again, I'll come back to this always as an example is we are a custodial Bitcoin on-ramp and that's how we started. And we're still like that today. And over 70% of our users don't have their own wallet. Like they keep their Bitcoin on Amber because they are completely fucking brand new to Bitcoin. They're not ready yet. But what we do to manage that is we help educate and assist them on the journey so that they can move on to self-custody. And it is super easy to withdraw out of Amber. You know, now with the new round, we're going to enable white withdrawals. We're going to do all sorts of other stuff. So I adapt to the marketplace based on that feedback and that viewpoint. But I can reason why I've done what I've done the way I've done it, as opposed to not having that pushback. And then what do you go and do? You go and build a Coinbase. Like Coinbase completely dismisses that. They don't give a fuck. Whereas I take that on board because I care about what I'm doing and I, and I appreciate the opinion of 
the Bitcoiners in the space. So I, I think it's a good thing. I, I guess like to propose a more specific definition there, I mean, to what extent do you think it's important for companies building on top of Bitcoin to drive value to the 21 million coin supply? Because I feel like this is where it sort of gets, especially when you start getting into other protocols and people building more experimental things on Bitcoin. I feel like you sort of start getting the question whether tokens are okay. And that seems to be like, you know, to the extent that going back to this question of like, what does it mean to build on Bitcoin? It seems to me that there's a lot of mm. confusion about that issue. Some of which with, you know, just by treating most other non-Bitcoin tokens as shitcoins, you've sort of created this, I don't know what the right answer is. It feels like we're debating it. I'm just sort of curious on, on what your take is. Like, you know, if you're building that type of structure, is the definition that we're supposed to be building things that drive value to the coin supply? Or how, how do you define it? I don't know, man. That one is a little bit because, see, whilst we've built a Bitcoin company, we're not so far into messing around with abstracted layers of Bitcoin and doing things like that. It's not exactly my wheelhouse. And I don't know specifically some of the things that people have an issue with. I know there's been people with issues with Liquid. People have had their say about Lightning and you know, other stuff. But that's really the extent to which I... So you kind of boil it down to just like comment? to what extent are you enabling sovereignty or that you are giving the user the ability to exercise Bitcoin or their rights to Bitcoin. That's the split that you would use. Yeah, for sure. Like, cause, so I would argue that, again, Robin Hood, for example, is a really shit place to buy Bitcoin because you're not buying Bitcoin. You can't withdraw the fucking thing. Whereas, you know, River, Swan, Amber, you know, stuff like that is a good place to buy Bitcoin because you can buy it and you can withdraw it. So it still kind of embodies what Bitcoin existed for. So with Liquid, for example, if you're going to use that and you can go from Bitcoin to LBTC back again, that's fine. That's great. Like if you go into a product where you swap your Bitcoin for name the representation of Bitcoin. Well, I think you just um, illustrated pretty well like how can't go back. that line has become. It's like the shitcoin line has almost sort of, and we've turned it inward. And I don't know what that means, right? Like I almost don't know if we've come to a conclusion on that. I don't know. If it serves the purpose of, extra inquiry on behalf of the entrepreneur who's building the thing such that should the customer want self-custody once again, they can do it, then that's a good thing. I'm sure there'll be collateral damage, which is some great entrepreneurs may have been deterred from building something really unique. But well, but I guess my point is we need to develop the Bitcoin economy still, right? Like, I mean, if we're going to view Bitcoin as a financial system and sort of get past this digital gold kind of narrative, like we need to encourage people to do that in some way, right? We do. And I guess that encouragement is there anyway, because people want to see cool shit being built and it's kind of happening, you know, whether it's Paul the Toy with, with Sphinx or what the guy's doing with Breeze. Like I've got something huge up my sleeve in 2022 with Amber, which is my contribution to what we want to do and how I see Bitcoin evolving. <laughs> Jesus Christ, there goes the washing machine. Hey, you know, um, podcasts are a good time anyway. to do laundry, you know, so... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, pro I promise that's not people in the closet, I swear <laughs> to God. And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm, I'm sure it'll manage itself because the, the market has a way of balancing itself. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it has, it has happened with Lightning and I've definitely seen those structures emerge. I just feel like it does seem like a touchy line. And if there's something I would say about the Bitcoin shitcoins narrative is that it's added a bit of, it's made it more opaque, like what we want to build on Bitcoin. And like maybe yeah, the early yeah. Bitcoiners would have a different definition of what the current Bitcoiners think should be built on Bitcoin. And I think there's friction there. I'm not sure what to think of it, right? I don't even know if the, the community has a real answer to that yet. No, but I guess this is part of the emergent process of, of us answering these things and why we have these conversations. We are like, in a sense, we're all laughing because this is like live action <laughs> role playing. We're fucking figuring this shit out. 
We're all wearing a random costume <laughs> on Twitter and like barking at each other. And we're essentially figuring it out that this is like the free market utopia that libertarians and Austrian economists have been talking about. And, and what's really crazy about it is that it does genuinely work itself out. Like it really does figure itself out, which is incredible. Well, cool, man. I think that was, I mean, we've done like an hour 20. I know you've got a hard stop in 10. If you want to close it out, if you want to take a couple questions, like what were you, what were you thinking? I think we can take a couple questions, man. See if there's anyone who wants to say something. And yeah, then we can well, I I saw, we I then do a quick recap. I saw the Steve coin was in here earlier, but he seems to have left. <laughs> so, you know, if anybody wants to ask some questions, we've got some, got some hands going up. I'll try to bring people on stage. And looks like we've got Mr. Shinobi. Shinobi, I've been loving your uh, lightning articles, by the way, man. They've been really interesting. I don't follow lightning as closely as you, but appreciate you're doing that. Alex, I just got to ask you, like, do you really think that we can make a compelling argument calling Ethereum slave money or that we're just going to literally alienate a fuck ton of people who are going to roll their eyes and just not take that seriously? I think this will be the funnel approach again. So the meme is slave money. And then up the stack is we need to describe why Bitcoin is in a different category to Ethereum. And then, you know, maybe... A little bit further up the funnel is where you know someone like I come into it and talk about why Bitcoin's not democratic, etc. And you know it represents free marketism, whereas you know something like Ethereum represents rule by a committee. And then someone like Peter Rizzo, for example, will describe the nuance between you know Bitcoin being something that protects individual private property rights, whereas Ethereum is something that operates by the consensus of the majority. And the the ramifications of that are the potential of influence of the committee by other committees such that it transforms that network into a conduit for control. That is a powerful argument, but it's like the question then is how do we, you know, at the different layers present that argument? And well, at the at the bottom layer, at the, the core layer, it is slave coin, but at the top layer it is this argument around rule by committee versus private property rights of the individual. Yeah, I don't know, Shinobi, I answered that and say maybe, I don't know, slave coin's a good one for the back pocket. I don't, I don't know if we should break it out too early, but I, I will say, like, if you look at what's going on, these cryptocurrencies, I mean, you look at what happened with, like, Comp recently, right, where there's a distribution of money to individuals, that distribution of money is deemed immoral, and then the people who claim that money then have that money rescinded from them, right? And you look at the mainstream sort of, like, journalistic articles on these, like, and it's, it's never talked about with that framing, right, where you really have supposedly decentralized technology like redistributing money and then somehow redistributing it again because that deemed that other action like immoral so i, I don't know I, I feel like you're starting mm -hmm. to see like real life examples of it that just should be called out for being more ridiculous than they are because again like in any situation where someone's rights are rescinded you sort of have to ask the question well like there seemingly was a choice made there and by whom is the question. And I think we were debating this a little bit earlier today. It's like my choice of words in the article has been like to call it the market, right? The cryptocurrency market. So that's sort of what I've kind of termed this because I don't know what, I feel like we need to pin that down. It's like, what is this thing that is happening that is somehow invalidating this person's right? Because if it is a decentralized cryptographic network, then no one should be able to rescind that individual's money, right? But seemingly that's occurring. And like, even if I go to, I've actually gone to the comp Reddit recently and like tried to find an answer. And like, I don't actually even know how this is happening, right? There's like a deliberate obfuscation here about how these tools and system work. So I don't know if slave coins like the right way to go about it, but there's certainly like something happened here in these other cryptocurrencies where how is this money changing hands? Like <laughs> in situations where it would seem preposterous that it would do so. Yeah, Brian, was what I said like, 
what do you think? Like, what's what's your feedback on that? I think it's a good meme for us. But if your goal Mm -hmm. is to try to expand that understanding to a wider circle, they're going to hear something like slave money and just dismiss that as a completely hyperbolic statement. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe you could argue that that was possible with the shitcoins as well, and I actually made the argument in this conversation as well. Oh, it like, was. We I had to fight for that. We, we, had, we had to fight to make that a term that didn't just immediately get that dismissal, and people still yeah. dismiss it. Yeah, it's bit, well. It's, to be honest, I've been shocked like this cycle to what extent like the word altcoin has permeated within like mainstream media. I, I think that's actually really telling, like, and how far the arguments come because I think. Four or five years ago, I don't, I don't think you saw altcoin like being a term. And if you think about where does the term altcoin come from, it literally turns comes from alternative cryptocurrency, right? And it being a derogatory kind of slang word against those things, right? But I see continually, it's like, I, I think I even saw in Bloomberg pretty recently that there was like an article that like just used the term altcoins pretty liberally. So I don't know, maybe pushing it Maybe the reaction to the mainstream from hearing shitcoin was to pull back into something like altcoin, and then you could argue that that actually wasn't that old. So yeah, we moved the Overton window in that case. I wanted to just say something to Brian's last point is that yes, like I think internally the slave coin meme is strong, but but it actually we have one interesting ace up our sleeve, which is the categorical fucking madness that's happening in the world around us today. So like I've been on a series of non-Bitcoin podcasts. Like I've got a, a friend of mine, Pete Evans, who was a he was a celebrity chef in Australia and he got censored like on Facebook and then his account deleted and same thing on Instagram because he came out a couple of years ago promoting paleo. Literally this is how his career fucking disappeared. He became a paleo fucking chef. The Australian Heart Foundation and all this sort of stuff vilified him as like promoting dangerous diets eating sweet potato and meat is like potentially dangerous you should eat bread apparently so anyway that's sort of where his career started to go down and then in 2020 he was a sort of he was a trump maximalist like because he became like a really moved in sort of like the health spheres and he's a little bit of a weirdo but like heart's in the right place now i've done like a 12 part fucking series on his podcast taking them down the rabbit hole and in the beginning you know i mean it's always been discussion about bitcoin and i've always kind of sprinkled in the difference between Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And, and I know that he is one of those people who is ignorant about like the difference between Bitcoin and these other things. So he ended up with like, you know, buying some Cardano and fucking Ethereum and all this sort of stuff, thinking that that's a way to get some upside. And in the last three or four episodes, like I've really doubled down on what people like him and his community think about, which is what's happening with the government and lockdowns and the mandates and all this other shit is a function of the fact that they have a monopoly on money and they can perpetuate an economic fraud and they can do all this sort of stuff. And that moving into quote unquote cryptocurrency is jumping from the fire into the fucking fry pan because all we're doing is we're swapping out the old white men and lizards behind the curtain, for example, for a bunch of fucking nerds and dweebs who haven't never had their dicks wet. Like that's all we're doing. We're just swapping them out. But it's the same fucking infrastructure. And I kind of give the analogy of what I said earlier about like Ethereum and all these guys partnering with the people that we're supposedly supposed to be fighting for. And I think that there is a there is a strong narrative there to get a big class of people who are becoming slowly anti-state, anti-government, anti-central bank to view cryptocurrencies in the same light as they view those guys. Because if we can successfully change that frame and frame Ethereum as a IMF CBDC and no different to that, 
we actually start to separate ourselves from them again and we take the high moral ground once again. But we need to do it eloquently as a meme and in multiple capacities. Word. I, <laughs> I think we're out of time. Come on, one, one more question, guys. We got to do one more? Okay, me, we'll get one more. So I'm just going to come in from being fairly new into the crypto space this year. And I want to say, as an investor, your point you raised earlier about not looking at it like a stock or a bond as Bitcoin is a very excellent point. It's still something that I'm trying to wrap my brain around, exactly what is Bitcoin, and, and I mean, really from a critical thinking standpoint. But I do think we're making a false comparison when we call it a cryptocurrency. I think it's something different. It's not even meant to be compared to what these other things are. And I think that's the point you guys are trying to make. But I do think there's going to be opportunity in that cryptocurrency space as what you're calling shit coins or, or whatever. There's opportunity to make money. But at the end of the day, we've got to sort out why we own this. And for me, and this is my question, I own Bitcoin because I'm using it as a hedge of central banks just losing control. I'd love to get your feedback on that. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be very careful with what you view Bitcoin as being, right? I think that's something where I would definitely encourage you to to do research on that. I think what you're advocating for is viewing Bitcoin from a portfolio perspective, right? And I think that can make a lot of sense. I, I would also say, though, that there is a deeper framing, right? Like Bitcoin is, is money. It's a economic good that emerged spontaneously out of nothing to acquire the values of money. And, and from that point of view as an invention in history it's it's very novel so i would say Agreed. like i would mm -hmm. probably try to come at it from a couple frames so one i think i don't have a problem with your particular frame of bitcoin as being a hedge but i think that you should also as someone who's researching the space try to realize that bitcoin is an invention it, it is an economic entity that, that hasn't existed before and therefore it is novel it is something new that we're trying to understand you look at the past as an example, I think we have failed to understand Bitcoin in some ways. And I think the cryptocurrency asset class, if you want to call that beyond Bitcoin, is, is sort of proof of that, right? It's a lot of people kind of applying probably poor concepts to this new invention. So again, like, yeah, I don't have a particular problem with the way you're looking at it. I would just encourage you to kind of broaden that perspective a bit, because I think ultimately viewing Bitcoin as a part of the portfolio really doesn't even get close, in my opinion, to what Bitcoin is. I don't think there's anything wrong with you looking at it that way. I just don't think it really gets to the truth of the matter of like what it is that Bitcoin is and how it's interacting with the world. And that's the point with my question. It, I have to say it's hard to wrap your brain when you come from our traditional viewpoints of the cult that we've all been raised in. It's hard to wrap your brain to this new freedom and, and what exactly Bitcoin is doing. It does mm -hmm. take a bit to really think through. And it's definitely, it's definitely something completely new. Like you say, an invention, it's, it's, it's something completely new fascinating it, it really is and, and to that point actually just like because we're we're short on time like i'm, I'm gonna shield two things quickly is like the recent orange pill podcast that i did with max and stacy we like really dug into like like a macro view of bitcoin and i don't say macro in the economic sense i mean like macro in the fucking history of humanity and existence sense like what the fuck does it mean for a sent an intelligent sentient species to discover energy money and what impact will that have on the world? So, so I did that with uh, Max and Stacey, but I also did a podcast with Princey for 21ism. And in that one, that one was a little bit longer. I think we went for an hour and a half and I really dug into that shit there. It's like, what does it mean for an intelligence entity species to discover energy money? And it's like, there is a time before that in which we've, as I said earlier, it's like we've tried to figure out better forms of money and like interacting 
because money is the tool that enables the intersubjective valuation of energy, resources, and time. Like that's what it is. And it's like we've had poor versions of that. So we've had low fidelity transmission of that energy all up until now. And then it's like sort of post Bitcoin, the world looks completely fucking different. And what the ramifications of that are, I think none of us can imagine at this point. That's something like I would recommend for anyone who wants to listen. It's like I posit more questions than answers in that. I'd love to hear some feedback and thoughts and all of that sort of stuff. So it's like the recent Orange Pill Pod with Max and the 21ism interview that I did with Princey, like really diving into these ideas, like what does this actually mean on a grand scale, not as a fucking economic inclusion into your, sorry, as, a, as an inclusion into your fucking portfolio. Like what does this actually do to the fucking world? And I think that's a much bigger question. That's a frame that we can start to move into as opposed to just um, arguing about a, a supply cap. Well, appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody's time and attention. Svetsky, appreciate you joining. And you want to let people know uh, where to check out more of your work and I'll do the same. Yeah, for sure, brother. So find me here on Twitter. This is much easier than Clubhouse. By the way, I just want to say, suck shit to Andreessen Horowitz. I hope Clubhouse goes in the toilet. That's fucking hilarious. I love what Jack did here. But anyway, that aside, Twitter, my blog has moved from my personal blog on Medium over to Bitcoin Magazine, and I'm doing all of my much deeper, more thoughtful pieces there. And then I also do the Wake Up podcast, which is you know me and really good Bitcoiners, people just from all sorts of walks of life. So I've had like I've had Zuby on there. I've had. Um, Sean Baker on there, like Carnivore. I've had like Jean-Francois Garapé who wrote what I think is one of the best books probably since, you know, Darwin wrote his piece like on, on biology and stuff. So it's like much broader topics and discussions if you want to have a listen to that. But yeah, that's kind of, oh, and then obviously my fucking business, Amber. So like, which we're launching in the US, which is doing Bitcoin stuff. I remember that. And uh, <laughs> we'll be back later today yeah. with another Spaces for Bitcoin Magazine. So again, appreciate you all joining. We'll be back later. I think Dylan LeClaire, uh, market analyst at Bitcoin Magazine. So I think Namino Trader, I think you might get some, some more value out of that. He'll be speaking to Bitcoin as a macro asset and Bitcoin as a financial position. So Appreciate everyone joining. I'll see you soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Rizzo.